Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit HopeChurchLV.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast to help spread Hope Church to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning, Hope Church. How is everybody? It's good to see all of you. If you got your Bibles, please turn in them to Daniel chapter three. We got a little bit of work to do before we get there, but Daniel chapter three is where we will spend our time together this morning. You know, when I was in college, I had an experience that taught me a lesson that I literally will never forget. Um, it, the scene was, I'm in my college dorm room, I've got my two buddies with me, my two roommates, Jimmy and Matt, and we're just hanging out playing video games. But your boy got hungry. Well, also, I'm in college, your boy didn't have any money. So what do you do? You make some Easy Mac. Everybody give it up for Easy Mac. Love some Easy Mac. <laughs> Somebody just literally, I told the story last service and sent me pictures of Easy Mac just in between services. So somebody, somebody's life was changed by Easy Mac this week. Um, but so I wanted some Easy Mac. So what I wanted to do though was uh, I wanted Easy Mac and a Dr. Pepper. But the problem was the Dr. Pepper were in a vending machine at another dorm. And so what I needed to do was put the, uh, Easy Mac in the microwave, do all the stuff, and then go and get the Dr. Pepper. And just a little fact about me, for me, everything's a competition. And it's dumb, but it's true. Everything's a competition for me, so here was my idea. Let's put the Easy Mac in the microwave, set the timer for three minutes and 30 seconds, and then beeline it to the vending machine in the other dorm, get the Dr. Pepper, come back and beat the timer. That was my goal. Why? I don't know, but that's just me, okay? So, I do everything right, right? I take the Easy Mac, I take the little fake cheese packet out of the Easy Mac, I undo the lid, I put it in the center of the microwave, three minutes, 30 seconds, boom, and I go, and I'm running after the Dr. Pepper. I get outside the dorm, get to the other one, get the vending machine, I grab my Dr. Pepper, and I'm thinking, I'm making killer time. I'm loving this. I've still got some juice in these legs, Pastor Ricky. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Um, and I get to the very front of my dorm room hallway and I open the door and when I open the door, I saw a scene that I didn't expect to see. I saw something I didn't expect to see and I heard something I didn't expect to hear. I opened the door and the entire dorm room hallway was full of smoke and the fire alarms are going off. And I thought, what dummy tried to burn his dorm room down? <laughs> so, I'm running to my dorm. And when I run to my room, I see my roommate, Jimmy. He has a bath towel and he's waving it out of our room and he looks at me and he says, what the heck did you do? And then it hit me. I'm the dummy who tried to burn down my dorm room. Listen, I realized very quickly, I had done everything right with the Easy Mac, except I forgot the most important ingredient. Anybody know? Water. Water is correct. If you wanna know what happens when you put Easy Mac in a microwave without water, here's what happens. Kaboom! And your roommates have to literally throw your microwave out the window two stories down to save everybody's life. That is a true story 110%. And it taught me a lesson. It taught me, thank you, Miss Lois. It taught me a lesson. Here's the lesson that it doesn't matter what else you get right. 
that if you get wrong the most important thing, the results can be devastating. I believe with all my heart the same thing is true when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. That we can get everything else right. We can go to church, we can read our Bibles, we can participate in a small group, but if we get wrong the most important thing, the results can be devastating. But that begs the question, what is the most important thing? Well, consider two scriptures from God where I believe he's communicating to us, here's the most important thing. If you don't get anything else right, you gotta get this right. Here's what he says in Exodus chapter 20, verse three. This is God giving the 10 commandments to his people. And number one, the first commandment is, we already sang it, you shall have no other gods before me. If you don't get anything else right, you gotta get this right. You worship only King Jesus. Jesus himself agrees with this when, if you remember when he was asked in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 22, somebody asks him, what's the greatest commandment? What's the most important thing? You remember what he says? Here's what he says. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Here's God's point. God's people, doesn't matter what else you get right. You get this wrong, the results are devastating. We've gotta get this right, Hope Church. And so as we close out our Killjoy series this weekend, we do so by examining this sin, the sin that gets these commandments wrong, and it's the sin called idolatry. Idolatry. See, we've been testifying this entire series that God has designed all of us for eternal joy in him, and yet we have these sins, these things under the surface that are killing our joy, that are robbing us of the joy that Jesus desires for us. And we wanna say today that as we end, that this sin we believe is the sin beneath all the other sins we've covered. We believe with all of our hearts that if you dig far enough in all the sins that we've covered, in all the sins in your life and all the sins in my life, you will find at root some sort of idolatry. This is the sin beneath all sins. This is the killjoy of all killjoys. We've gotta get this right. I can just, if I'm being honest with you, when it comes to my personal relationship with Jesus, when I feel like I get stuck or I'm struggling with a habitual sin pattern, what we've gotta do and what I try to do by the grace and mercy of God is identify the idolatry in my life. Where have I replaced God with something else? And by God's grace, when I'm able to rip that out and replace it with Jesus, I experience what I can only describe as transformation from the inside out. Which is why I say to us, and I believe with this, I believe this all with all my heart, this spiritual reality, that nothing will catalyze your growth and joy in God faster than identifying, removing, and replacing your idols with Jesus. And so this is what we're gonna try to do today. This is what we're gonna go after. And we're gonna do it by talking through a very, very famous Old Testament passage in Daniel chapter three. Many of you probably know this story. We're gonna find today a story where God's people, the Hebrew people, have been captured by the nation of Babylon. And the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, has commanded the captured people of Israel to forsake the true God and worship the gods of their culture. And if they didn't, the results and the consequences would be devastating for them. 
And so with that being said, let's pick up in Daniel chapter three, starting in verse 13. We're gonna read through verse 15 to begin, and we'll kind of be everywhere in this chapter today. But we pick up the story with three boys, three teenagers named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these boys are being questioned by the king for not worshiping the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up in the city. So let's pick it up, Daniel chapter three, verse 13. Here's what God's word says. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up. This golden image, it's, it was said that it was 90 feet tall, nine feet wide. And this golden image represented the multitudes of gods of Babylon. And the call was when worship or when music was played in the area, everybody would have to bow down and worship this golden image, worship the gods of Babylon. Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound, he says, the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. He basically says, listen, you get a second shot. If you wanna bow down right now, you can go on your way. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And then listen to this. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? You'll find out. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna talk through this passage and we're gonna recognize four realities about idolatry. That when we recognize these four realities, they will help us identify, remove, and then replace our idolatry with Jesus. And so the first thing that we need to recognize about this story in order for us to do that, number one, is we need to recognize the promotion of idolatry in this culture and in our culture. We need to understand what idolatry really is and how we all live amidst a culture just like these guys did that was promoting it all day long. So first, what is idolatry? Well, let's look at verse 15. Nebuchadnezzar says, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. These ideas of falling down and worshiping, the, the word for fall down, it, it's literally just a word communicating the physical action of these guys. It's falling on their knees before the image, but then the, the worship piece isn't just a spirit, or it isn't just a physical action, it's a spiritual action taken by these guys. See, here's what's happening. The king doesn't only want them to bow down to the image with their bodies. What he's after is he wants them to worship the image with their hearts. Why? Here's why. Because the king's goal, when he captured the people of Israel, they hand-selected who they considered to be the elite of Jerusalem, and they exiled them into Babylon to live, work, and function. And the whole goal for the king was to turn these elites into Babylonians, for them to replace their old way of living with a new way of living that fit their culture better. And see, this king knows, he knows that if all he gets from these guys is their lip service or their bodies, but not their hearts, he doesn't really have them. He knew what we know today, that we become like 
what we behold. I've shared this verse with you before. It's such a key verse for me in understanding how God changes us and molds us as people. The Apostle Paul, speaking to this reality, says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding, beholding, it's a word that means to contemplate, to see rightly or to worship. Here's what he says. Beholding what? The glory of the Lord are being transformed, are being changed, are being formed, molded, what? Into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Here's the spiritual reality that this verse is teaching us. It's teaching us this, that we are formed by whatever we worship. You and I are formed and transformed by, keyword here, whatever we worship. This is not just when we worship God, this is when we worship anything. Anything, it could be religious and spiritual or worldly and secular. We are formed by whatever we worship. See, the king knew this. See, this is the battle for these boys and this is the battle for us. Do we worship the one true God or do we bow down and worship the gods of our culture? See, this is what idolatry tries to do in our lives, friends. See, idolatry is not satisfied with just getting your attention occasionally. Idolatry's goal is to capture your affections consistently, to capture your whole life. Its, its goal is complete and total takeover. To prove this, here's something I found interesting in studying this, that, that most scholars, when they're talking about this story, they think that King Nebuchadnezzar, that when he came into Jerusalem, to capture the city, what he did right around the same time he set up this golden image was actually tear down the temple of God, the temple of God's people. The temple was where God's presence dwelt. The temple was where God's people would go to worship Yahweh. And King Nebuchadnezzar comes into the city and he goes, no more of that, we're tearing that down. And then what else does he do? Then he raises up a golden image and he says, listen, you don't worship over here anymore, you worship this. See, friends, this is what idolatry does. This is what it does. Its goal is to take over our whole life, and the way it does it is by tearing down the true God and raising itself up as the new and better God. That's what it tries to do. That's the, the lie of idolatry. It's trying to tear down the true God and raise himself up as the new and better God. This is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar is trying to get these guys to do, essentially worship the image rather than worshiping God. And see, now we're starting to give, get a definition of what biblical idolatry is. So here's the definition. Idolatry is the heart worship of anything above God. Anything above God. See, idolatry is simply worship directed at the wrong things. All of us were created to worship. Don't you know that? All of us have a God-sized heart in, or God-sized hole in our hearts. And it can only be filled by God himself. And yet our problem is we recognize either consciously or subconsciously, we've got this hole in our heart, but we go try to fill it with everything but God. That's what our sin does to us. 
See, giving you some practical language around what this actually looks like in our life, Paul, in Romans chapter one, describes what idolatry looks like in the hearts of people most often. Look at what he says in Romans chapter one, verse 25. He said, these people, they have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And wait for it, worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. See, this is at, heart, at the heart what idolatry is. It's worshiping the creation rather than creator. It's worshiping the gifts he's given us rather than the giver. This is our problem and this is what makes idolatry so insidious. See, it says here, they serve creature or creation rather than the creator. You know what God said when he made creation? You remember? He said it was good. See, and that's the problem with idolatry. That's one of the problems. See, idolatry is so insidious in our lives, not because we make bad things our idol or our God, but because we make good things our idol and our God. See, when you take a good thing and you make it a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. When we take something that God has given us as a gift to bless his people and we make it an ultimate thing and that's what we're going after over and above God, that becomes an idol and it is sin and it's evil. This is idolatry. Worshiping creation rather than creator. See, what I want you to see here is that in this culture, the king is the one promoting all of this. The king, the most powerful person on the planet, the one who has the most influence at this time, he's the one promoting all of this idol worship. Let's look at it in verse 14. It says, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? What's happening here? What's happening is we have the most powerful man in the world at this time promoting idolatry, promoting sin. And he's promoting and accepting the worship of any God. You can choose any God to worship, whatever you want the golden image to represent, you can worship any God, just not the God of the Bible, just not Yahweh. Here's my question for you, Hope Church. Does any of that sound familiar? See, one of the mistakes I think we make when we read the Bible is we think, man, this is just so old, it has nothing to do with my life. It's not transferable, the culture they live, it's just different. We don't, we don't worship 90 foot tall images anymore, it's just so different. Is it really? See, I think we live in Babylon 2.0. See, we don't worship a 90 foot image, but we worship something. And our culture is promoting this idolatry. And we live in a culture that says, listen, you can do and worship whatever you want, just not that God. Just not that God. Go after whatever you want, whatever makes you feel good, whatever is good for you. You decide that, just not this, not this God. See, we don't worship a 90-foot tall image, but we worship the gods of comfort. Anybody? me, luxury, control, pleasure, achievement, recognition, riches, and image. 
all of these things, all of these lowercase g gods are working for our worship. You see what I'm getting at here? Listen, we may not set up a statue to worship, but we all at some point in our lives are, are, are currently bowing down to these invisible lowercase g gods, asking for them to fill the hole in our heart that only God can fill. This is why God says, listen, don't have any other gods. They won't do for you what, what I can. This leads us, this leads us to number two, the, the second thing we need to recognize, the problem of idolatry. The problem of idolatry. Let's look at chapter three, verse 15. Nebuchadnezzar says to the boys, who is the God who will, everybody say this word, deliver. Who's the God who will deliver you out of my hands? In other words, Nebuchadnezzar's looking at him going, listen, guys, you're in my house now. You live where I live. I'm the most powerful man there is. In light of who I am and what I have, what can your God do for you? See, friends, this is a physical example of the spiritual reality of what idolatry tries to do for us, do to us. It lies to us, and here's what it does. It lies to us, and it tries to get us to believe that the God of the Bible can't do for us what they can do for us. It lies to us. See, we make the problem in our lives with idolatry so much worse when we trust in an idol to deliver us more than we trust in God to simply satisfy us. See, the reason why idolatry is the greatest killjoy of all is because it promises what it cannot deliver. It promises what it can't deliver and when we look to them to do what only God can do, listen, it leads to destruction. Let me give you one example from the scriptures it's a story about King Ahaz found in 2 Chronicles 28. And, and here's his idolatry fleshing it out. And what we're gonna see is we're gonna see the results his idolatry gave him. It says, in the time of his distress, which just FYI, this is when we mostly go to our idols. When we're most stressed, when we're most nervous, when we're most concerned, we run to whatever we think is gonna satisfy us. He became yet more faithless to the Lord. This same King Ahaz, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that he that had defeated him and said, here's his reasoning for worshiping another God. Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. You see it? Listen, I'm gonna do this because in doing this, it's gonna help me. I'm gonna worship another God because in worshiping another God, this other God, it's gonna help me. It's gonna do something for me. But does it? It does do something for you. It's just not what you want it to do. Here's what happened. But they were the ruin. The ruin of him and all of Israel. Your idolatry, Hope Church, doesn't just ruin you. It also ruins the people around you. It, it's, it's affecting all of us. This is the problem of idolatry. I'll say it this way. The problem with idolatry is idolatry never delivers on its promises and always leads to ruin. That's the problem. That's why God says, don't pursue them. Don't do it. They never deliver. Man, what have you ran to in your times of distress? What have you ran to only to find out, man, it never delivered on its promise? It, it, in fact, it only just sent me more into a spiral of, of, of destruction. Man, when we run to anything other than God, 
and it just leaves us wanting. When I was a, um, a seminary student trying to get my seminary degree, I was living in North Carolina, and all I wanted was to be a pastor, and so I was trying to get my degree, and at the time of, of doing my seminary degree, I was working at a golf course, working at a church, doing all sorts of different stuff, but I was living up there by myself. I was, at the time, engaged to my now wife, but, but we still had a few more months before we got married, and she moved up there, and I remember while I was up there, I was doing my God time. I was taking time to just spend time abiding in Jesus with his word and in prayer. And I happened to be reading a devotional by a pastor named Paul David Tripp. It's a devotional called New Morning Mercies. I highly recommend it to you. But I'm reading this devotional, and as I'm reading it, I'm just finding myself in a state of a lot of discontentment. I mean, I'm just so discontent. And I remember as I was reading the devotional, it, it, it was talking about idolatry and idols of the heart. And basically, it says you can identify where your idols are when you fill in this blank to this statement. If I only had blank, then I would be content and happy. So I started asking myself that question. Man, what am I believing that if I only had that, then I'd be okay and content and satisfied? And at the time, I'm just being honest with you, I wrote down two things. I believe that if I only had a wife, <laughs> and I became a pastor, well, then I'd be content. Now, here's what's awesome. The next year, I find myself in the exact same devotional, reading the exact same devotion for that day. Here's the difference. At that point, while I was reading it, I had now been married, and I was working for my dream church in my dream role as the student pastor here at Hope Church. But here's where I found myself just as discontent as ever. Just as discontent as ever. Why? Because those things, they're good things. I'll tell you, my wife in this church, in this job, it's a good thing, God bless it. <laughs> but it's not an ultimate thing. It's not my God. This job and my wife and my family cannot do for me what, what Jesus can do. Idolatry, the problem, the problem is it never delivers. It always leads to ruin. So what do the boys do? What do the boys do? Well, we see a, an opposite reaction. We see a great example of what faithfulness to Jesus looks like in this passage. Let's read verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, what courage here, what courage, seriously. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But I love this. But if not, even if he doesn't, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Listen. I, I love these guys' faith. I love it. Look at it. Think about this. This is the kind of faith that looks into the eyes of idolatry and says to it, listen, I know your lies. You don't deliver. I'm not choosing you. I'm with Jesus. That's the kind of faith I want. And I'm staying true to my God. 
This is the kind of faith I know that all of us desire, one that's confident in God, submissive to his sovereignty, and steadfast no matter what the cost is. Listen to what they say. This is so good. They say, listen, our God is able. He is more powerful than you, King Nebuchadnezzar. You don't have any power that has not been sovereignly given to you by the hand of the all-sovereign king. You are an earthly king, but you are not the true king. He's more powerful than you. But then he says, and he's willing. He cares about us. He loves us. We believe that about our God. He cares about us. But here's the thing. Even if he doesn't deliver, I'm fine. I'm fine. We're not bowing down. Why? Because we know that there's only one God worthy of our worship. And it's not you, King. See, what I love about these teenagers, teenagers' faith, what I love about them is they understood that their God wasn't just worthy of their living, he was worthy of their dying. Their God, they loved him and served him simply for himself, not for what they could get out of him. You missed that one. That's a big deal. How many of us, if we're just being honest, we, our relationship with Jesus rises and falls based on what we get out of him rather than just who he is to us? Listen, I don't wanna be the guy who loves Jesus and serves Jesus and walks with Jesus just for what I could get out of him. I wanna serve him and I wanna love him just because of who he is, that he's worthy. Listen, question for you. If all you ever got from Jesus is your salvation, would you still follow him? If he never blessed you and gave you anything else in this life, all you had was your salvation, is that enough for you? Listen, ministry leadership, church leadership, it's an easy place for guys like me who have the idol of achievement and recognition to hide. You wanna know why? Because I can cloak my idols for, for my personal achievement and, and my uh, recognition in front of you. I can cloak all of that with very spiritual language. I can come up here and, and preach and live like I'm trying to really extend the kingdom of God, but really my heart motivation is to extend the kingdom of Trenton Dorner. Listen, it's a scary place to be. But listen, that's true of ministry leadership, but that's true of everywhere. Listen, we've gotta be careful to recognize when we are operating more for our idols than we are for our God. I wanna serve Jesus, not because I have an idol of achievement and I think I can achieve more under a spiritual banner here than anywhere else, but I wanna, I wanna follow and serve Jesus because in light of who he is and what he's done in saving me, doing anything other than serving him exactly in the way he's called and created me to do that feels like I'm robbing him of his glory. That's the kind of faith I wanna have. That's the kind of man I wanna be. I wanna be somebody that no matter what I'm facing, no matter what the world's throwing at me, no matter what consequences I may face for following Jesus, I'm able to stare at those costs and say, listen, you can do your worst to me, but I'm gonna be just fine. Why? Because I'm with Jesus. That's the kind of faith I want. That's the kind of faith I think we should all want. But here's a question. What's gonna happen when we do that? 
I mean, what's gonna happen if we decide, you know what, I'm gonna zero in on following Jesus, nothing else, nobody else. Jesus is gonna be my God and my king totally. What's gonna happen? Well, we gotta realize, we gotta realize the price of resisting idolatry. We gotta recognize the price of resisting idolatry. Here's what happens to these guys. They have a wonderful faith, but their faith gets them thrown in a furnace. Their faith gets them thrown into a fire. And so just write this down, Hope Church. Here's a spiritual reality for us. Resisting the idols of our culture will come at a cost. It will come at a cost. It might not be us being thrown into a physical fire, but we will be thrown into the metaphysical fire, right? We will be thrown into the fire of losing popularity, not being honored, of having people slander us and shame us for what we believe. Listen, here's my question. Are you willing to pay that cost? The only people who are willing to pay that cost are the people who recognize that what the world can give them is nothing compared to what Jesus can give them. See, I'm not here trying to store up treasures on earth, people. I'm going for what I've got in glory. I'm with him. I didn't sign up to follow Jesus for an easy life. I signed up to follow Jesus because I wanna enjoy eternal life with him forever. See, but here's what happens. Here's what I love about the story. See, these guys, they believed that dying for their God was worth it. And here's the crazy thing. As they got thrown in the fire, they weren't alone. See, it says that as they got thrown in, two things happened. One, the fire doesn't touch them. And then there was a fourth person in the fire. You know where I'm going. I hope you do. Scholars talk about the reality, and Nebuchadnezzar points to this, that when he looked into the furnace, he sees the guys walking around as if the fire's not even touching them. And then he sees a fourth person in the fire who is described as having an appearance as one of the sons of God. Here's what theologians tell us. That fourth person, that wasn't an angel. That was a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Listen, the message of the Bible from start to finish, is God longs and desires and will be with his people. And friends, listen, when we look at the cost, when we know what it's gonna cost us, and we look at that and we go, whatever, I'm with Jesus, I'm turning to him, I'm trusting in him, here's what we know from the scriptures, Jesus will be with you. Listen. When we're with Jesus, we're untouchable. We're untouchable. Why? Because everything that happens to us has been filtered through the all-sovereign, all-good, all-loving hands of our Heavenly Father. And if we will just turn to Him and trust Him, listen, we will come out of the fire more like gold. We gotta recognize the price of resisting idols if we're gonna do it. But then finally, how do we actually develop this faith? Because let's just be clear, all of us today, we're, we're inspired, we're happy, we like it, we, we love it, but we know as soon as we get out these doors, the world's here, and it's gonna attack, and it's gonna try to challenge us and get us to go back to the gods of Babylon. 
How do we develop this kind of resilient faith? Well, I wanna finish with the four practices for fighting idolatry. Excuse me, three practices for fighting idolatry that we see in this story. See, here's what happens. The guys get out of the furnace. They get out of the furnace and, and Nebuchadnezzar looks at them and here's what he says. It says, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants. I told you he was gonna find out who would deliver him. What did they do? Who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Three practices from these guys that we can use to fight the idolatry of our day and develop this resilient kind of faith. Number one, we must trust him daily. Trust him daily. Hope Church, listen, you're gonna beat the, the, the war of idolatry one day, but you're gonna have to battle it again the next day. We don't just do this one and done thing and move on and we'll act like we never have to fight our idols anymore. We've gotta trust God daily. And where do you learn to trust him? You learn, him as, you learn to trust him as you spend time with him, as you're with him in, in his word and in prayer, as you grow and, and spend time with Jesus, what ends up happening is you learn this, this Jesus guy, man, he's a man of character. He's trustworthy. He's given me promises that he's never failed to deliver on it. I wanna trust him. Hope Church, just also one little side note, trusting him is a choice before it's a feeling. See, a lot of us, when it comes to our relationship with God, we just, it's all based on feels. And listen, I, I like the feels. But listen, trusting him begins as a choice and then results in feeling. Listen, I promise you, I promise you, if you will start trusting him daily, choosing to trust, what's gonna happen is you're gonna watch your feelings follow your faith. You're gonna watch your feelings start to catch up with the choices that you're making. Trust him daily. But number two, we gotta set aside your idols consistently. Here's the reality, guys. We all have idols in our hearts. I've got them, you've got them, we've all got them. And the problem is a lot of us, we're blind to them. And so we've gotta search our hearts. We've gotta, by the Spirit's power, search my heart. I'm thinking about David. Oh God, search my heart and test me. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Show me, is there anything in me that's not leading me in the way of everlasting? This has gotta be a consistent prayer of us. But it's not just enough for us to do it by ourselves. We gotta do it in the context of community. One of the gifts that God has given us is people, brothers and sisters, who love us enough to encourage us and expose us in grace and love and truth going, hey, listen, brother, sister, I've seen you, I've watched you, and I love you enough to tell you I think you've been blind to this idol in your life. Listen, Hope Church, that's a gift. Don't take that as an offense. That's a gift. So I just wanna encourage you, if you're here today and you're not in a community group, you're not living life in community, in gospel community, literally, your next step, go out into the lobby. You can get connected into a group today. I wanna encourage you, do not miss the opportunity to have God's people lovingly encourage you and expose you. Why? Because this will lead to more joy, more growth if we continue to set aside our idols consistently. But here's the third and final thing. If we're gonna set aside our idols, we gotta do that, but then finally, we also have to surrender to him moment by moment. Moment by moment, living in a posture of surrender. Listen, this, this is what these boys did. They said, God, my life is yours. 
my heart is yours, and we believe that whatever you have for me is better than what I have for me. They lived in a posture of surrender. They literally yielded up their very bodies and trusted God with the results. Listen, I wanna be somebody who lives with a posture of surrender. And what happens, friends, is we try to fight this idolatry. We ultimately, we're doing it in the, the most simple way I can give you that, that we fight the idolatry of our hearts. I'll say it in a sermon in a sentence. Here's how we do it. Ultimately, we fight the idolatry of our hearts by fighting to believe that Jesus is better. That he's better. He's not just enough, he's more than enough. See, this is the promise of Jesus over your idols. He's saying, listen, that idol could never do what I could do for you. I'm more than enough, I'm better. And this is why, Hope Church, we end this series the exact same way we started it, with my favorite verse in scripture. This is the verse, if I ever got a tattoo, I'm getting this one on me, because it is my favorite verse, because it is literally the greatest offer on the planet. Listen to this, there is nothing better than this. You make known to me the path of life, David says. In your presence, God, there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Listen, this is why I choose Jesus. Here's why. Because there is nothing fuller than full. There is nothing longer than forever. And if you can offer me something better than the fullest joy possible, experiencing it for longer than forever, then listen, I ditched Jesus in a second, but you can't offer me something better than that. And so I'm with Jesus all day long. He's better. He's better. What if that was the message of our church? We walk into this world and go, and listen, Jesus is better. He's better. I promise you, on the authority of the word of God, when we fight our idols by believing that Jesus is better, you and I will experience a kind of growth and joy in Jesus that nothing else could give us. And as we close, I just wanna say to the person in the room who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, in the same way that these guys trusted God set aside the idols of the world and, and surrendered to God, this is the same thing Jesus did to get to you. See, Jesus trusted in the Father's plan for redemption. He set aside and said no to the idols and temptations of the world, and then finally, he yielded himself up on a cross to pay the penalty that our idolatry deserved, and he made a way for anybody who would choose him and trust in him that anybody could be in a relationship and in experience this eternal joy forever. That is the gospel of Jesus. And I wanna encourage you, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, man, let today be the day. Let today be the day. You don't have to know what it's all about. All you gotta do is say yes to Jesus. We would love to help you do that. So if you're here today and you wanna do that, we'll have pastors here. We would love for you to come down. Let us know that you wanna begin a relationship with Jesus and we will walk with you walk with you and care for you and love you as we help you follow the God of the universe. But maybe you're here today and you're a Christian and you've got idols of your heart. You recognize you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, but you've allowed something to take the place of God in your own life. Man, here's a great opportunity to come down here and confess it to the Lord and confess it to other people who love you and wanna help you. Let's confess our idols. Let's get them out. Let's get them out in the open. Let's bring them to the light and say, Jesus, I want you over this. I don't know how the Lord is leading you to respond, but whatever way he's leading you, I wanna encourage you to be obedient, to follow the Spirit's leading. Lord Jesus, thank you. God, thank you for today. Thank you, Jesus, that you're better. 
you're better. And so God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here today. God, I pray that we would choose you every day. We would follow you every day. We would recognize just how better you are and that God, we would be able by your grace and spirit to resist the idols of our hearts and follow you all the days of our life. So God, we love you. Thank you for today. Holy Spirit, would you lead as we respond? We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.